Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Rowan Verse read-long and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome back to the show. As you guys may have known if you've been following the Best Damn Camp and my social media, uh, I had a mini hiatus for a little while just to kind of get my bearings, deal with my mental health, make sure that I am doing okay. Uh, I've been struggling a lot this year and well, since basically starting this podcast my mental health has been non-existent but um I've been taking the time currently whilst I'm recording this and I'm recording multiple episodes at once just so if I do need to take a break there'll be no stopping in content this time around I have my first whole week off from work for the first time in literally ever I've never taken a week's holiday from work from well, obviously you can't do it with education I recently went from university straight into a full-time job and I've not had a break since so um clearly this is needed I've enjoyed having this hiatus um as you guys have seen I have had content coming out in the last two weeks I had a fantastic interview with Gracie Kim author of The Last Fallen Star which is out now go by if you enjoy Korean mythology or just want a new sort of style of mythology that has a similar style to Percy Jackson but is a little bit different and also with Jalen Steele who played Sally Jackson in the lightning thief musical which came out last week so yes i have been busy in some regards um i'm also a member of katie zell's how we fall apart street team which is very exciting you guys can go pre-order i'm going to put links for that in the episode show notes um so yeah i've still been busy i've been working on my novel and um i'm i'm feeling good i'm feeling good about a lot of things now so i'm glad to dive back in with the last couple of chapters and episodes for the last olympian before we move in to the next section for the timeline but i'm rumbling now so let's dive in today we are continuing our timeline journey with the last olympian chapter 15 chiron throws a party and chapter 16 we get help from a thief as always i have my points to focus on so today we've got characters relationships gods and generally what i thought of it but To begin, here's the synopsis. With the fight going poorly... Wait, hold on. Back up, I missed out a word. (laughs) With the fight going poorly, backup arrives in the form of the centaurs. Of course, it doesn't last, as Rachel arrives with a falling helicopter. With Annabeth being a badass, a new fight arrives, and with Ares' cabin's return, all seems well, until it's not. 
And yeah, that's where we're, we're jumping right in. We've got a lot of stuff to do. So let's just start with chapter 15, Chiron Throws a Party. And as you guys can tell, I'm now saying the name correctly because I've been bullied into, sub into submission by saying things, quote unquote, the correct way. Um, I prefer to say Chiron, but um, I'm tired, so I'm not going to say it that way anymore. Um, you'll see that with a few other things. Um, and it's just a way to kind of keep my mental health good because this fandom can suck sometimes. Um, actually, before I dive into chapter 15, I do want to just say, so obviously we got the casting news recently. Um, if any of y'all are not a fan of the idea of Percy Jackson being a person of colour, um, you can piss right off of this podcast right now. I do not accept racists into this community that I'm building here. Um, yeah, just want to put that out if you don't like the idea piss off <laughs> um and yeah sorry let's just go in now so chapter 15 current throws a party and here is the summary for chapter 15 the battle continues and our heroes are losing ground ready to retreat the party ponies and chiron arrive just in time the enemy push back for now our group resets and prepares themselves a heart-to-heart -heart between percy and annabeth is had before dionysus takes percy for a chat Gods, oh, someone's at the door. The only time I'm fully ready is when my dad decides to have a delivery. Um, sorry, where were we? Oh, gods need heroes more than they need them. Now it's time for a choice. When Percy returns, drama arrives. His parents are passed out nearby. Pandora tempts him, and Rachel arrives in a plummeting helicopter. What the heck is going to happen next? Well, we'll find out shortly, but let's dive into chapter 15 first. All right, I want to start first with relationships, particularly Percy and Annabeth. Now, Percy has opened up to Annabeth about what he knows about Luke, what he knows about her past and all these sort of things, but it turns out she actually kind of knew that he knew these things. And this is, you guys know, how I feel about the fact that Percy gives a lot more than, no, takes a lot more than he gives. Um... And this kind of happens still here. Like, it's frustrating that he still kind of doesn't understand Annabeth's reasonings for wanting to believe in Luke still. Considering everything that he's done, she still kind of wants to believe in him. But and <laughs> the one positive that comes from out from this is that he doesn't say anything this time around. He's angry and disappointed, but he doesn't say it. And I know, so many people have brought this up to me. I know that his photo flaw is loyalty. So he sees the fact that Luke was disloyal as completely unforgivable. Which I find ironic considering that he's kind of cool with Nico now and stuff. But, well, has well flip-flopped. But anyway. But after seeing everything that Annabeth has gone through. Seeing the fact that she was a child on the run alone. And Luke and Talia protected and looked after specifically Luke as well like he's seen and heard everything firsthand of what she went through and how Luke basically saved her and yet he still doesn't understand I don't get that myself because everything that she's told him should give him a new perspective of what Luke was like and everything that's happened and this is the thing about Percy and this I guess is where the fit flaw comes in but it's never shown as a bad thing that he doesn't forgive easily 
And it's the fact that he doesn't forgive. <laughs> we don't see any time where he forgives someone for doing something dumb. And not, I guess obviously in Luke's case it's not just dumb, he's done terrible, terrible, terrible things. But he never tries to understand him or understand where he's coming from. Because all the stuff, as I've said before, all the stuff that Luke is doing, all in the wrong reason and all the wrong way. But the reasoning behind it all is that the gods are awful and need to do better. That's not <laughs> up for dis dispute because it's true and Percy knows it, but he never tries to analyse it. And it's the same case here with Luke. He sees what Annabeth is like and how she thinks and feels about Luke. Not even a romantic sense. We obviously know that Annabeth has a crush on him in some sense, but not even that way. But even with all of that, he doesn't try to understand it. And I just can't, I wish that he tried to, just because of the fact that obviously this romantic element between Percy and Annabeth is being built up, that for him to understand and kind of say that he does, make Annabeth in her feelings, like make Annabeth feel valid in her feelings. I think it's in a really important, I know they're kids, I know they're kids, well teenagers, they're 16, they should have some sort of maturity level considering all the stuff they've gone through as well but I feel like if he understood her and let her know that he understood her it would build this bond between them that someone gets where she's coming from that she knows that she's in the wrong she knows that she's wrong but she doesn't want to be and that's what Percy can't understand I don't know I don't know if I'm making any sense but I think that would be really interesting to see for him to kind of get it even if he doesn't fully, but get it in some way and let her know that he does to build that bond between them. And considering the, the romantic relationship between Percy and Annabeth that's budding in some aspect, like his first instinct in this chapter is when there's a fight going on that he sees the owl flag, there's a proper word that he used, for the Athena cabin and he sees Annabeth, his first thought to do is to go to her and fight with her. So the instinct to be there to protect each other, to be there for each other is there. But the emotional depth and connection between them is lacking to me, which I feel is just as important in the building of a relationship between characters. I don't know if anyone agrees with me, but um, I just kind of want to put it out because I feel that's always something, and I'll get to this later on as well, but I feel this was always something that's lacking in a lot of relationships in general in stories is that there isn't the emotional connection isn't always that this understanding of one another this like getting someone um in that emotional sense and that definitely isn't here with Percy and Annabeth I don't think they understand each other on an emotional level I think Annabeth does more so because like the fact that she knew what Percy was thinking and what he'd learnt probably just from his own body language like she understands him to that level but he doesn't understand her or doesn't try to which I think is disappointing but anyway sorry I'll stop going off my rant on <laughs> relationships and kind of go into gods now we have Dionysus pop up in this chapter and I really really appreciate this bit um Dionysus I, I put he's the he's the only valid god but no he's Hestia has always been the top god. She's the only valid god, really. She's the best of the gods. Uh, Dionysus is a very healthy second. <laughs> um, like, he's an asshole who needs an attitude adjustment, but he is 
one of the only gods besides Hestia who we've seen show genuine, well, I'd say this part, not Hestia related, but she's shown care for demigods. He's the only god who's shown genuine care for the children he does have. He's the only god who's shown interest in his demigod children, who's mourned his demigod children and hasn't played favourites as well, I would like to point out. This is a Poseidon slander podcast here because Poseidon sucks and I don't get why people like him. Um, Poseidon plays favourites with his kids and um, you never do that. That's never okay. <laughs> and people will be like, oh, but Percy was his only demigod. I'm like, yeah, but he still has Tyson. Um, and Tyson, I'm sorry to Percy, is the better character. Um, so the fact that Poseidon plays you know, favourites, a bit messed up. But then we've got this Dionysus here, who his two kids, I've forgotten both of their names. Um, it was Pollux and something else. It's the one beginning with a C. Castor, I think it is, Pollux and Castor. Um, I think they were like fraternal twins or something like that. But like, he doesn't play favourites with them. He's just as devastated losing one and the fear of losing another is just as powerful. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Like, it humanises the gods in that sense to see this fear that he has. But he's also offered more advice and insight to demigods than any other god throughout this series. It's not always the most useful of advice, but he's always been there to interact with the demigods and kind of show a different side to them as well. Like, his, I think it was in the Types Cast where he talked about how heroes are continuously selfish which is why he doesn't like them and gives the whole story of how he met his wife as well that's a really interesting humanizing thing for him because it justifies his reasoning more so than all the other gods who are knobs who don't have a reason and yet even though he has a reason he still kind of shows some kind of care towards his kids as well which you know none of the other gods do but he also opens up in, in this chapter specific, specifically, he opens up about the weakness of the gods and the fact that they do rely and depend on the demigods, even if they won't admit it, he has. He has basically said, look, we can't survive without you. We need your help, we need your support. And it's moments like this that I kind of wish we'd seen more of throughout the series to help justify why these kids are standing up and with the gods you know the gods that ignore and have abandoned them if you had more moments of the gods interacting and showing this side of themselves this human like element of care and understanding and weakness in a sense of kind of letting their guard down to you know their kids I think I would have got <laughs> I wouldn't be fighting as much to kind of get some recognition for what Luke was doing um, like Luke is an idiot and everything he's doing is horrible but the message behind it is still important and it's things like this where I'm just like if this happened more the message would kind of I don't know I, f I feel like it would just be useful for me to help for me and maybe others because I know other people do see like this whole question of why are these demigods supporting the gods? The gods suck. So seeing more of this would have helped more people to kind of understand the reason why people are siding with the gods. I don't know if that makes any sense. Anyway, 
let's move on to the next one because that chapter though it had quite a lot happen it also didn't at the same time um this chapter however there's a lot that happens here so let's get into it and that is chapter 16 we get help from a thief and this is a summary for chapter 16. Annabeth is a queen and everyone should bow at her feet. Rachel is showing signs of something other. Of course, Percy has just focused on his ego. We are met with further info giving dreams of Hades and Kronos. Problems just keep coming as a dragon and the enemy return for a fight. Thankfully, the Ares cabin and Clarice arrive to help. Until it turns out that it isn't Clarice, and instead we look upon the dying face of Selena Beauregard. Oh my god. Now, I've just realised I've written a small little comment here. that So this is for, I think it's only like the continent of America that has this. Maybe it's just like North America. Maybe Canada has it as well. Root beer. So it's mentioned that the centaurs have root beer. But then they're stumbling around, they're giggling, they're, kind of, they're acting drunk. Is root beer actually alcohol? There is someone at the door again. Why is this the time that all the delivery people arrive? Anyway, yes, so is root beer alcohol? Because I've, I think I've tried it once when I was in America. It's gross, I don't get why people like it, but it didn't seem like an alcoholic drink. It didn't particularly taste like one, although I've had alcohol in a long while, but yeah. <laughs> is root beer actually alcohol? Because I can't understand why they'd be acting drunk if it wasn't. Or maybe it's to hint that maybe they didn't have root beer. I don't know. Americans, please explain. <laughs> to get into the main bit of this chapter though, I want to look at again relationships and also again at Annabeth and Percy because oh, the complexities are just getting worse, aren't they? Although Annabeth, okay. So Rachel has arrived, Annabeth has saved her ass, and instantly, like, Percy and Rachel are kind of having this thing, and Annabeth has kind of walked off frustrated after saving this girl's life. Um, it kind of does suck, doesn't it? Anyway, so Annabeth does have, like, a point with her frustration, though, because Percy has been frustrated and kept things from her about Luke and that whole situation. So she is allowed to be just as frustrated about Rachel. And this is the thing within the fandom and within the books. Like, Percy seems kind of frustrated that Annabeth has gotten frustrated and walked off. And he's like, oh, but I want to explain. But then Rachel... <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. Like, <laughs> this himbo, Percy, has continued to think... Like, and this is always an internal thing. Like, he wants to explain. It's like, oh, I wish I could just explain to her this isn't what she thinks. And I'm like, mate... All you do is think about how you need to explain thing, explain things, but then you never actually do it, which means it doesn't help. Because <laughs> then she never understands because you never explain it. <sighs> he's just, seriously, Percy really is just a himbo. Um, he's kind of useless, but that's the only thing I really wanted to bring up about Annabeth and Percy in this section, because that's kind of the only thing that fully happens here um although she does come back later on and she's like she's kind of a little bit cold but it doesn't particularly matter but to go into another relationship just kind of going off what we were saying before in this case it's about percy and rachel now there is an awkwardness between them and 
oh this is the thing so this is where i become slightly disappointed with percy again i think this is a recurring theme um he's starting to think of rachel as weird because she's showing signs of being a little bit different and otherworldly now she's got ancient greek writings and drawings all over her legs all over her clothes because she needed to get these things out and the fact that he then compares her to may someone that he described as crazy as oh, just really derogatory language um says a lot about like he's a really judgmental person like insanely so and it's kind of irritating that that's doesn't particularly like this is stayed he's stayed judgmental throughout these five books and the fact that he fixates most of what's being discussed with in their interactions with each other he makes it all about him says a lot about him too like she comes forward with this whole situation of she's been thinking about these things she's been having dreams she's been having sort of visions um and she needs to tell him certain things like the fact that he's not meant to be the hero um that there's a trick that's going to lead to death and all these sort of things and he's getting frustrated and angry at her and getting offended by the fact that he's not meant to be the hero and getting annoyed by it and i'm like mate is that really the biggest problem here right now like also this boy's dumb He's thinking of May, he's remembering all these things about it, and he even mentions to Chiron the whole situation of, you know, you'll keep Rachel safe, right? Because, you know, I know what happened with May when she tried to become the Oracle. So he knows the whole situation, and yet it doesn't click with him, and he just tries to make it out that Rachel's an idiot. Not an idiot, crazy. Um, and then makes it about himself because he's then upset that he is supposedly not the hero and gets annoyed about the fact that she said he's not a hero. Oh, as a whole, like this whole relationship, quote unquote relationship, has always felt quite one-sided to me with Rachel. Uh, with the, well, with the fact that Rachel herself seemed to have had more of an interest in Percy, and Percy kind of really only being interested in her in a way that benefited him starting with the start of this book the only reason he's been spending so much time with Rachel is because she is an escape from what's going on at camp and you know the whole demigod world so it's not because he wants to really spend time with her although he seems to make it out that he does just the wording that just the way that it feels is that he's interacting with her as an escape he's using this time to interact with her to learn more about himself and he's some and, and the fact that he's kind of having as he described someone show interest in him in a quote-unquote non-complicated way kind of how he describes Annabeth like Annabeth is too complicated and I'm like mate but I don't know there's something that about the Rachel and Percy relationship that feels like it's more on Rachel's side and that Percy is kind of not stringing her along but like kind of at the same time um especially considering what happens in the next chapters and I will talk about that when we get to it but yeah I don't know that it's there's something about it that just feels a bit off and I don't know I'm just not a fan of the way in which his interactions are going here um I don't like the way that he thinks about these girls sometimes. I don't know. 
I don't know if it's just me or if I'm just, well, this is an analytic podcast, maybe I'm really just reading a little bit too much into it, but to kind of go into the characters, and specifically Rachel from what I've been saying here, there is this new side to Rachel that we're seeing appear in this chapter, and as we've been seeing in this book really as well. One that, a side of her that she's clearly actually frightened by, but she's intrigued enough to find out what is happening to her. And the fact that Percy himself thinks that there is a similarity to what he saw with May gives a sort of hint, especially as what she said of a trick leads to death ending up becoming true as Clarice wasn't really Clarice. That's saying that word twice close together is difficult. (laughs) We can kind of assume a lot here, like a mortal who's learning more unintentionally writing in ancient Greek, spouting things that comes true, sounds sunny. And hopefully people who really know Greek mythology will know what I mean there. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I don't know, there's just kind of a lot that's happened here, but then also at the same time it feels like not much has happened. I don't know. We've had a lot of fighting, a lot of fighting, a lot of planning, unfortunate romantic drama followed by a trick that ended in death. I know I haven't talked about the Selena and Clarice situation um, in this chapter because obviously that's kind of leading into it. Um, but I can't really get into that more in the next episode because I feel like that's where the majority of that kind of happens and is discussed. The fight scenes are really good and I know I didn't talk about them but they kind of go a bit too quickly that there's not too much to talk about them and they, I don't know. There's more to discuss in the following chapters regarding this. Like these chapters, there's a lot that kind of happens without a lot feeling like it happens at the same time. There's just a lot of fighting. Um, Oh, that was a weird accent suddenly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, actually, I've realised I haven't put a question of the episode in this, so I'm going to have to come up with one on the spot. Yeah, to just kind of summarise, good chapters, a little bit frustrating due to the romantic drama element, but um. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens next and go into it. So this week's question of the episode, based on that whole discussion that I've had to do with Percy and Rachel, um, do you guys think that Percy may have been, quote-unquote, using Rachel to help him figure things out for himself? Or do you think there were genuine feelings there in some regards? I'll probably shorten that slightly because I think that's a bit too long of a question. But yeah, did Percy string Rachel along or was there something actually there? Um, <laughs> I'm intrigued to see what you guys will say. Oh God, this is, I feel like this is going to be controversial. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'm interested to see what you guys are going to say about that question and about this week's episode. Um, I'm really glad to be back. I'm really excited to fully dive in with all of you um, and yeah i can't wait to move on to the rest of this timeline so i want to thank you all for joining me for today's chapters be sure to join me next wednesday as we continue our own verse journey to plug where you can find our podcast we are available on spotify we should drop a follow apple podcast where you can leave a rating and a review audio booth stitcher teaser and basically wherever you can find your podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts in the meantime between episodes you can find the best damn camp on various social media at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter if you want to email me with your own thoughts you can email the best damn camp at hotmail.com and i'll read it out at the end of the show or i've admitly i haven't been doing that so probably in a mailbag episode if you want to support me making this content check me out on patreon at a healthy dose of fran 
Want to know more about my upcoming writing? Drop me a follow at a dose of friend on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Oh, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran. <laughs> Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see you slash speak to you guys next time. Bye.